Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Good morning and welcome to Kingdom Treasurers. Today we have another webinar which we are hosting and our topic today is um, how to start a small business successfully and our speaker is Bibi Clement who is a first class international speaker and trainer has an amazing presence and she's going to take us through this today so by the end of today all of us should be in a position where we can start a small business successfully that's the key word here um she's also the author of how to go from employee to entrepreneur so bb over to you thank you very much we're really excited about this good morning and uh welcome to how to start a small business successfully uh first of all i want to thank um the organizers of this event. Um, um, I want to thank you so much for making this possible. Um, I'm going to tell you a bit more about who I am, but before I do that, I just want to share something with you. Research shows that over 70% of heart attacks occur on a Monday morning between the times of 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. And researchers have connected that startling statistic to people getting ready to go to a job that they hate, that they feel undervalued, that they know that they're underpaid, that they don't really get on with their colleagues, that they can't stand their boss, and the sheer trepidation and you know, hopelessness of the situation in which they're in because they feel they can't move is literally killing them. And I get that, I really do. Um, I remember a few years ago, I was uh, working as uh, a benefits advisor in what was then called the Department of Social Security. I think it's called the Benefits Agency now. And um, I remember sitting one day with my, my colleagues and one of my colleagues mentioned something. She mentioned something that happened in our office about eight years prior. When she mentioned that, I began to wonder, how long has this chick been here? So I said to her, how, how long have you been at this job? She said, oh, I've been here about 10 years. 10 years, I thought. Because at the time, I was on um, an AO, which is one level above the lowest level you could be on. And it was clear they were not going to promote me. So I thought, this woman has been in this job for 10 years on this pay scale? and has made no attempt to move? Are you kidding me? So I went round the table and asked everybody else how long they'd been here. Now I got similar responses. Oh, I've been here 10 years. Oh, I've been here 12 years. And as I listened to them and I thought about the crap job that I was in, I thought, oh my God, oh my God, if I don't do something, this is gonna be me. Because at the time I had just gotten married. We didn't have any children. Um, and I thought, by the time I start having kids, it would be almost impossible for me to leave because the flexi time and everything like that would be really family friendly and I won't be able to go. So when I got home that day, I told my husband, I said, sweetheart, I'm resigning. And my husband said, whoa, 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 babe. What, what do you mean you're resigning? I said, I'm resigning. He said, why? 
And I told him why. Um, needless to say, he wasn't very happy. But I thought, I've got to do this while I still have the nerve. Otherwise, I'm just going to lose my nerve. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm going to be stuck here. So the next day, I went in and I tendered my resignation. Um, thankfully, many years down the line, my husband and I now run a group of small companies. And uh, those companies cover a range of industries. Uh, my, both my husband and I uh, have a, a legal background. So we have um, a law firm, a commercial law firm that is dedicated to small businesses. So, so people like, like you, we're dedicated to small businesses. We also own a legal magazine called Law Digest. Um, and that's the premier magazine for, Af for um, African lawyers globally. We um, own a business management consultancy and that's for high net worth foreigners who um, don't live in the UK, but they're doing business in the UK. So they, they need a presence here. So we do things like we help them register their company. We do their tax, their accounts. We provide meeting room space for them when they're in town, that kind of thing. Um, and we then have an HR consultancy. I also, and this is my baby, BB Clement, which is my personal brand. And I do speaking and training under it and, and a couple of other companies. Now, the reason why I share all that with you is because I've been on all ends of the spectrum. And if we can do it, you can do it. So what you're embarking upon today is to get you on your journey. But I want you to know that that journey is possible. The, the, the desire to become financially free is possible. Uh, like I said, if we've done it, and anyone could do it. And we're still on that journey. We're not where we want to be financially, but thank God we're not where we used to be. Um, so I just thought I'd introduce myself and I'm Bibi Clement once again. Um, but now I'm, I'm sharing many hats during this, this um, session. That, that's, my, um, that's my business hat. But I'm also sharing a hat as, as a church leader. I've been in church leadership for the last 30 years. I'm not a pastor, but I'm part of the leadership um, team of my church. And um, the reason, I want to quickly share with you the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because like I've shared, I'm not, this is not my area per se. I'm, my, my, my background is law. But a few years ago, I was in America. I went to see a friend of mine who had had problems uh, conceiving. The Lord had heard her prayer, and so had a baby boy, and I went to surprise her. So while I was there, I offered to babysit so that she and her husband could go out and have a night out on their own. And while I was there, I picked up a magazine on personal finance. And I was reading an article by a woman called Susie Orman. Some of you will know her. And can I ask, as I'm speaking, that you're taking notes. There'll be certain names I mentioned. You need to go check them out certain things that books I mentioned, you need to go read them, um, certain concepts that I hope that you will catch. So it's important that you are taking. So I read this article by Susie Orman. She's a, a personal finance advisor in America, very successful. She's always on opera. And um, as I began to read this article, something began to stir within me. I couldn't explain. It was almost like fire began to to move through my bones. And that sometimes happens to me when I'm reading the Bible, but it never happened to me when I was just reading an ordinary magazine. So I said to the Lord, Lord, why, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And the Holy Spirit said to me, one of the very few times that I've heard the Holy Spirit speak in my, in my Christian walk, when you get back to the UK, I want you to go teach my people how to create wealth. And he said, my people, so I knew you wanted me to go to this church. And I was wondering, <laughs> Lord, 
you, you got to be kidding me. I, I had one of those Moses moments. You know, when God said to Moses, Moses, who was a stammerer, I want you to go and stand in front of the most powerful man on earth and tell him to let my people go. And you, know, you can imagine how Moses felt. So I felt like that. I'm not, <laughs> I don't know anything about economics or finance. I really don't have that much in my bank account. You know how much I have in my bank account. And the Lord was very quick to respond to me. So I thought, okay, but he, he wouldn't let me be. So when I got back to the UK, I'm thinking, now who's going to let me preach in their church? I'm not a pastor. But the Lord reminded me that a cousin of mine and her husband, they were uh, pastoring a church. So I rang them up and said, oh, guys, can I come and preach in your church? So I think they were a bit taken aback because I didn't really share with them what God had said to me. So they said, you know what, let's think about it. We'll get back to you. A week went by, nothing happened. Two weeks went by, nothing happened. So the Holy Spirit said to me, listen, this is not playtime. This is time for you to start preparing. So I went on all these seminars and training to, to learn how to speak well in public. I invested a lot of money buying a whole lot of books, began to read about finance and economics. And the Lord, I remember the Lord gave me specific things to read about. He asked me to go and read about what is the role of land and property in building wealth? What is the difference between a personnel section and an HR section? What is a final salary scheme? All these kinds of things. What is the collective psyche of a people? I'll never forget this. What is the collective psyche of a people when a nation is going through a recession? How do people think during those kind of times or during a disaster? How do people think? And what is the effect of that economically? All these things I learned. Three months later, they came back to me and said, okay, baby, you can come and preach. But you can come and preach on a Wednesday when there's hardly anybody there. I think they thought I was going to mess up. So just in case. So I went and preached on a Wednesday and God honored his word. And it began to grow from there. After a while, people began to come. Can you come and preach in my church? Can you come and preach in my church? And then after a while, the corporate world came, came calling. And then governments came calling. I remember a few years ago, the, the um, Nigerian Armed Force, Forces asked me to come and speak in Nigeria on uh, modern concepts of leadership. So it has grown and grown and grown from there. So that is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, the reason why I'm sharing that is because I need you to get that you are not just signed. What you're doing today, you are not just signed up to a webinar. Hear me clearly. The Lord is preparing his people for something that is coming. And the fact that you are signed up to what you are signed up to today means that you are part of what God is wanting to do in these times. So please pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is going to say through me today. This is not just a webinar. God is preparing his people for what is to come. And I think COVID-19 has really helped me in my message. I've been banging this drum for a few years now, but COVID-19 has really brought home to people that the whole concept of job security, that's gone. That is gone. And we must understand that and get with the program. So God never leaves us to suffer. He always prepares us. And that is what he's doing in these times. Okay. So after that really long-winded uh, introduction, uh, I now want to deal with a couple of things. Now, I was asked to speak for one hour, but I, I've added an hour with your permission. And the reason why I want to do that is because having talked to the church or been speaking to the church for a number of years, I find that what keeps us financially broke or not uh, allows us to become financially free has very little to do with the circumstances in which we find ourselves and has more to do with our mindset and our religious disposition. So I really want to deal with those concepts first because the how to do business is not really the issue. You need to deal with any kind of cobwebs, psychological or mindset cobwebs that might be there or mindset thinking that may be a hindrance to you becoming financially free. So I want to deal with those first, with your permission. Are we good to go? Is everybody good to go? Cool. 
So the first question we're going to deal with is, does God want me to be financially free? And this is really important because if you don't settle this question in your mind once and for all, even if God puts resources in your hand, you won't know what to do with them. Even if God brings you in the place of opportunity, you won't know how to take advantage of them because your mindset will sublimely be working negatively against you. So let's deal with the issue. Does God want you and I to be financially free? So I'm going to be looking at some scriptures that, as far as I'm concerned, lend themselves to this issue. John 10.10 10 says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I, I looked up the word abundantly. Abundantly means to have plenty, full, lavish, and overflowing. Now, when I first read this passage, I would have been happy if, if there was a full stop after life. I have come that you might have life. That would have been enough for me. If God just said, I said Christ that you might have life, that would have been good. But the fact that there is an and after that word, and there is a whole other sentence after that word, means that God is saying to his people that he recognizes that it's not enough for you and I to just have life. In other words, it's not enough for you and I to just be inhaling and exhaling. It's not enough for us to just be striving. It's not enough for us to just be living from paycheck to paycheck and paying bills. That is not what God put you on the face of the earth for. He said, I have come that you might have life. And then he took the time to go on to describe the type of life that Jesus died for you and I to have. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So the name of the type of life that Jesus died for you and I to have was abundant life. And that life means to have plenty, to be full, and to be lavish and overflowing. And I, I'm sure you'd agree with me that if you are going to have the kind of life that Jesus describes here, you have got to have money. You, there is no way you can have this kind of, of life if you are living from paycheck to paycheck. No way that you can have this kind of life if you are struggling to pay the mortgage. No way that you can have this kind of life if you have to send your child to the local comprehensive because you can't afford to put them in the kind of school that you'd want them to go to. No way. So that, that's, one, that's one scripture. The second scripture that I'd like us to look at is Psalm 23. The language in Psalm 23 lends itself to what we were told in John 10.10. 10. The Lord is my shepherd, David says. I shall not want. This is such a wonderful declaration. I love it. In other words, how can God be my God and I be in want? It can't happen. He says, he leads me beside the still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Not he suggests it to me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Again, green pastures talks about abundance and lushness and fullness and running over, just like we see in John 10.10. That has always been God's plan. Let's have a look at this one, Ecclesiastes 10, 19. Money answereth all things. Does that mean money is the solution to every problem? No, that's not what it means. But if it's a thing, ladies and gentlemen, money is the answer. If it's a thing, money is the answer. When you go down to the car showroom, you don't go down to the car showroom and tell them, I've been praying and fasting for the last 40 days, so give me that, that Jeep over there. They will laugh you to scorn. So there are some things in our lives, ladies and gentlemen, where prayer, and I know this will shock some of your religious sensibilities, prayer is not the answer. Money is the answer. God is telling us in his word. As long as it's a thing, if it's a house, 
it is money. If it's a car, it is money. If it's nice clothes, it is money. That is the answer. I was listening to a sermon by T.D. Jakes recently, and T.D. Jakes was saying that he believes that about 80% of our prayer requests could be solved if somebody just wrote us a hefty check. And I think that's true, which again would tell you that money is the answer. As long as it's a thing, money is the response. God delights in the prosperity of his people. If my sons, I have two boys, if one of my sons came home tomorrow and said, mom, I, I got that deal. I got the contract and you know what? I just bought myself a Jag. I would be ecstatic. Why? Because I'm a good parent. And good parents are always happy when their children are doing well financially. Your father, your heavenly father is the best parent ever. So he's happy when you are doing well financially. It makes him look good. How does it honor God when you are struggling to pay your rent? How does that honor God? How does it honor God when 80% of your prayer list is I need money? How does that honor God? How does it make God look when your neighbors see you with your fat Bible every Sunday going to church and yet they come home, they wake up one day and uh, DVLA have, have clamped your car because you didn't have any money to pay the road tax. How does that honor God? God delights in the prosperity of his people because it says to the world, their God is a good God and he cares about their financial needs. He delights in the prosperity of his people. I don't think that God has a problem with us being wealthy or becoming financially free at all. In fact, I think it's something that God desires for us to have. If you read the Old Testament and you read about the patriarchs, one of the hallmarks of God's relationship with the patriarchs was they were financially wealthy. Let's go from Abraham. Abraham's wealth was just from glory to glory. It was from one level to another. Isaac went through a period of famine, but the Bible says he ended up being mega wealthy, mega wealthy. Jacob, the same thing. Should we talk about David or should we talk about Solomon? Whoa. Not only was Solomon wealthy, but a study of Solomon uh, made me, made me um, discover that not only was he known for his wisdom, that man was a badass entrepreneur, real hot entrepreneur. So the, I think the issue for God as regards wealth is remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Let's have a look at that. Let's deal with the latter part of that sentence. It is he who gives power to get wealth. When I first read that scripture, this question that came to mind is, if God gives me power to get wealth, why would he give me power to do something he doesn't want me to do? So you should let, if you are called to be an entrepreneur, you should not let your pursuit of business and entrepreneurship deter you pursuing what God has called you to do. Don't let anything deter you from doing that. If that is your call, don't let anything deter you. And let's have a quick look at what is included in that power that God has given you. One, your health is part of the power because if you're not healthy, it's almost impossible to do what God has called you to do by way of entrepreneurship. Part of your, the wealth that God has, um, power that God has given you is your brain, ladies and gentlemen. You are able to do above, over all that you could hope or think. 
thing. Christians are really big on prayer and fasting and scriptures, and indeed we should be, but we're not so hard on thinking. And I think this is what the world has on us. When Jesus says the people of the world, they're smarter when it comes to financial matters. I think that's part of what he's talking about. We're not hot on thinking and our brain is, is, is so full of ideas and creative ideas to, to, to get wealth. It is unreal, but it's so underutilized by the, by the body of Christ. Don't underutilize it. It's important. Uh, part of the power to get wealth is the people, the connections that God will bring into your life. I can assure you, take note, as from today, certain people will begin to connect with you and you'll be wondering, where did all these people come from? I can assure you that will happen. So those kind of things are part of the power that God gives you to create wealth. Those, those supernatural divine opportunities where you are in the right place at the right time, those are part of the power that God gives you to get wealth. So don't underestimate them because they're important. But the important thing is when God brings you into your inheritance or into your wealth, remember that it was God. Don't fool yourself that this is about you. This is not about you. It was God. I'm going to remember, talk about real quickly about a friend of mine, and I know he's spoken at Jesus' house, so you probably know him, um, Rami Banjoko. Dr. Rami Banjoko, he and I, we do um, wealth creation seminars together. We've been to about four or five countries, and we, we do wealth creation seminars together. And Rami, when, when he was... Um, a few years ago, he was um, into property development and he became uh, a millionaire. And he, he tells this story, so I'm free to share it. He said, I became real proud of myself. I thought I had gotten here by myself and I was arrogant to the T. And then the Lord had to remind him that it was him that gave him the power to get wealth. And all that he had built within the twinkling of an eye collapsed and he became bankrupt. Uh, to, the, to the glory of God, he, he re, first of all, he rebuilt his relationship with God. He repented and rebuilt his relationship with God. And then God gave him the grace and the mercy to rebuild his wealth. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that he has rebuilt his wealth. But don't, you need to remember, constantly remind yourself so that God doesn't have to remind you that it is he that gives you power to get wealth. Okay, are we good? Okay. All right, now, a wise man leaves an inheritance, not for his children, for his children's children. Now, I think God puts that there because he wants us to know the kind of mindset and attitude we should have in relation to building wealth. You need to start thinking generationally about wealth creation. So when you're building your business, you need to build with that in mind. I am building something that is going to outlive me. Don't build something that is just going to bring you in a little bit, bit more extra every month. No. Start thinking generationally. I've got to build something that children's children will bless grandma for building. Got to build something that will generations to come because Christ is in me. And Christ wants to use this to leave footprints in the sand of time. So don't think about just you. This is not about you, ladies and gentlemen. This is about building something that Christ can use into eternity, to generations to come. So now that 
for me, like I said, the question is settled. I have no problems now, but I believe me, I had, I struggled with this, this whole concept of whether God wants me to be financially free. I struggled with that. And I know a lot of people do. So I think it's important that I deal with that. But it now begs the question, if God wants his people to be financially free, why are so many of us struggling in the area of finance? I think that's a valid question. So don't be afraid to ask it. God can take it. <laughs> He's big enough. He can take it. Now, I think to a large extent, the answer can be found in this. If there's ever been a time when I think this scripture is applicable, it is in the area of wealth creation and entrepreneurship and business. My people perish, and perish means they die, they fall, they're destroyed, they're lost, and they lay down their lives for a lack of knowledge. And I want you to notice when you read this scripture, the next verse does not say, but God is a merciful God. And so he swoops down and saves his people. No, 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 no. God expects you to go get the knowledge. Now, it doesn't say that my people perish for a lack of degrees. Because as you well know, uh, and I, I know that most, most of you are, are, are black, most of us have more degrees than a thermometer. So this is not about academic achievement. You don't have to be academic to do that. mind smart are completely different things, which is why you can have three degrees and still be, still be struggling to pay your mortgage. So it doesn't say that people, um, people perish for a lack of opportunity, because trust me, opportunities to make money exist all around you. As sad as it is, the truth is that many people are becoming, and indeed will become, bankrupt during this whole COVID-19 situation. But alongside that, some people are becoming billionaires. So it's not a lack of opportunity, which means some people are still finding opportunities to make money. So it's not a lack of opportunity. It is not a lack of um, um, work ethos. Because we are hard workers. If it comes to that, we are very hard workers. So that's not the issue. There's a difference between working hard, ladies and gentlemen, and working smart. Uh, we have got to learn the difference between working hard and working smart. It is a lack of knowledge. It is what we don't know that is keeping us where we are financially. So I thought it would be nice for us to have um, a little bit of um, a quiz. I know it's early Saturday morning, but just to wake us up a little bit more, let's see how much we do know and learn that which we don't know. Okay. So um, here's a quiz that I'm going to ask us to go through. If you know any of the answers, um, I'd ask you to just wave at me. All right. Can, can everybody see th that? Can you see the questionnaire? Yes, we can. Okay, cool. So question one, what kind of economy, uh, of economic system does the UK operate? A, planned economy, B, capitalist economy, C, mixed economy. If you know the answer, just raise your hand. Okay. Do you want to unmute yourself? Capitalist economy. 
It's a capitalist economy. Thank you so much. You're so right. It's a capitalist economy. We're not a mixed economy. We have been in the past, but definitely as from the times of Thatcher, we are now full-fledged capitalists. Uh, most countries in the world, to a large degree, are, but the UK is definitely a capitalist society. Question two, which of the following is an appreciative asset? A car, land, property. Do you want to answer that for me? Yes, um, land. Land, okay. Is that the only one? Okay. Is that the only one? A property. Property, okay. Land and property. A car, ladies and gentlemen, is not an appreciative asset. When you drive, when you buy a new car, and you drive it out of the showroom, and you drive to the end of the road and drive back, it has lost 25% of its value. It is not an appreciative asset. Which then makes me wonder why we spend so much time buying new cars or buying cars that we can't afford just to show off to people who really don't like us anyway and are jealous of us, when we could be using that money to buy an appreciative asset. Okay. Number three, which of the following is a means of transferring wealth to your children? Life insurance policy, a valid will, or property? Um, if, it's, if it's more than one, then you can say more than one. Okay, yeah, um, a valid will and property. A valid will and property. Okay. What about life insurance? And life insurance. So it's um, all of the above. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> all of the above. Now, can I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't got life insurance, you need to get it. You owe it to your family not to die and they have to do a crowdfund me to bury you. You need to get it. You owe it to your family not to leave them with a hefty bill, a hefty inheritance um, tax bill that wipes out your assets. Is there any, anybody on this platform, anybody listening to me that actually does life insurance? If you do, can you just unmute yourself? Anybody sell life insurance? Um, I don't sell it, but I have it. Mommy, okay. right. oh, there's nobody that sells it. Okay, if we can, can I please ask that you mute yourself? If there's anybody that, that if, if nobody sells it, please, if you want to get life insurance policy, I work with a company that, that does, please connect me afterwards and I will, I will hook you up with them, but you must get life insurance. Um, the, the average Caucasian person, their first taste of wealth is life insurance. So we owe it to our children. A valid will. How many of you have a will? And we get really, Christian people are, are really superstitious. For all our so-called faith in God, we get really superstitious when we start talking about a will. The fact that you write a will does not mean you're about to die. But you must have a valid will. This is how you protect your assets, and this is how you ensure that your, your wealth endures from generation to generation. If you die in a valid will, the government has a right to take up to 40% of your assets. What are you working for if the government can come in and take 40% of your assets? I said this uh, somewhere where I went to preach some time ago and an elderly woman stood up. She said, baby, you're telling the truth. She said, when my husband died, we thought we were covered. By the time the government finished with us, we had nothing. We had nothing. So it's important that you do that. Property, of course, is a means of passing uh, wealth to your children. 
If you are renting, may I encourage you to do everything you can to get on the property ladder. And I will come back to that soon. Okay. When starting a small business, which of the following do you need? An accountant or bookkeeper, your pastor, office premises, or a large amount of money? And I would say uh, for those ones, um, if you can have a large amount of money, an accountant, um, those two would be quite good. Okay. okay. Does everybody agree with that? Does somebody have a different answer? None of the above. I, I, I agree. I think I would, I would say an accountant and bookkeeper. Okay. Uh, and I would agree with you. You don't need a large amount of money That's to start right. a business. Um, I have started companies with less than a thousand pounds. Um, Facebook didn't start with much money. Um, you know, there, people are selling stuff on eBay. They don't have much money, but they're making a lot of money from it. So having a large amount of money is, 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 a, mis, is a misnomer. You, you don't need a large amount of money necessarily. You don't necessarily need office premises. One of my companies I run from one of the bedrooms in my house. You don't necessarily need office premises, especially since COVID. Now it has come home to us that actually we don't need an office. Lots of people are, are moving away from an office and they're running it from home. You don't need your pastor. So those of you who can't make any moves in their lives without their pastor having prayed and fasted and, and prayed, touched some handkerchief and anointed you with oil and all the rest, you don't need that. I'm not saying you shouldn't tell your pastor that you're about to start a business. It's always good, of course, for him to pray for you, but you don't need that to start a business. Uh, an accountant or bookkeeper, you will need. You will need. Somebody's got to take a, take, um, keep an eye on the cash flow, uh, you keep the books, that kind of thing. You will need that. All right. When you are starting business, which of the following steps are imperative, essential for you to succeed? One, market research to identify clients through large amount of funds for staff. You need, you need market research and identifying your clients. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah. You might not initially have staff, so that's, that's not necessarily what you need, but you're, you're so right, you need market identifying your clients. Okay, both of which we'll look at today. Indicate true or false on the following statements. A sole trader is a person or business entity that is owned and run by one individual. Is that true or false? I think it's true. Okay, and uh, for the next one, is this true or false? A sole trader is a person who is his own boss, does whatever he feels like doing at any time. Is that true or false? That's right, yes, it's a sole trader. No, that's false. I say it was. That's when it's false. The third one, a person who works for himself at his own pace and his staff. Mm -hmm. Is that true yeah. or false? True. True? True. Is that true? Is that true? Sorry, who, who said true? True. Do you necessarily work at your own pace and your own style as a sole trader? True. No, false. <laughs> it's false. You don't necessarily work at your own pace or your own style. Trust me. <laughs> if your style false. was to keep procrastinating, you wouldn't have any business. Absolutely. A, is A is true. A is true. All right, let's rush through the rest. 
What do you understand by the term financial independence? Is it deliverance from the love of money? Being free from any financial obligations or responsibilities? Or the state of having sufficient personal wealth to live without having to work actively for basic necessities? I think it's C. You think it's C? Yes. Yes, you're right. <laughs> All right, number eight. Which of the following do you think is the most important for anybody to achieve financial independence? A, hard work day and night, a good job and associate with rich people, at plan, or bar? Um, sorry, I didn't know my hands were up. Um, I would say um, all of the above in a way. Um, obviously, you... you it, you don't really have to work hard day and that, but you would have to work hard to get there. You would need a good financial plan and the people you associate yourself with should be people that can challenge you and push you. So I would say all of the above. All right. I hear what you're saying, uh, but it did say hard work day and night, which you don't I need disagree. to do. I disagree. You don't need to do that. Yeah. Um, some people hardly work and they're making a lot of money. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, a good job and associate with rich people. No, you don't need that. Uh, but you do need a good personal financial plan to follow. You do. You do need that. Okay. Money can be defined as cash that is available to a person to buy anything they want. Cash deposits in my bank plus the cash that I have in my pocket that I can use to buy anything I want. And C, any object that is generally accepted as a medium of exchange to make payments for goods and services. Which of those is money? Uh, it's C, any object that is generally accepted. That's it. That's it. Right. Why is money called a currency? A, because money is generally spent quickly and flows away like a fast-flowing current of water. B, money goes from person to person very quickly. C, similar to water in a broken tin, money can easily be lost whenever there is a leak in an individual's life or, or a company. D, because money takes different forms which in actual use or circulation based on demand and supply. Oh, no one's got their hand up. <laughs> really? When we use it every day? Who's got their hand up? Okay, go for it. Come on. Um, I think it's D. It's D. And you would be right, sir. That's correct. It's D. Okay. So what are liquid assets? Anything tangible or intangible that represents positive value of ownership that can be quickly converted into any form of money, e.g. cash. B, any asset that uses water to produce positive value, e.g. quickly for the value such as vegetables. And who wants to go with that? Um, A, um, anything tangible, intangible that represents positive value of ownership that can be quickly converted into any form of money, that's what I think. Yes, perfect. Define current interest. Continuous addition of interest earned to the principal so that the interest also earns interest. B, adding money earned from different sources into one bank account, compounding the value of an individual's different assets and producing one total value. Who wants to? A. A, all right. Who's that B? No, it's A. Hey, yeah. Okay, hey. cool. So, those, for those of you who don't know what compound interest is, that is compound interest. 
So it means that you, you get interest, not just on the principal. So let's say you had a hundred pounds and you invested a hundred pounds. So you don't just get interest on the principal, which is a hundred pounds. Let's say uh, the, the, the uh, interest was, was uh, 10%, which is 110 pounds. You get interest on the 110 pounds, which is completely different. And this is how people like Warren, Warren Buffett, compound interest. I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to talk about that in the reverse in a, little, in a little while. So you need to be active. Whenever you're going to invest in something, ask your bank or whoever it is that you're investing in something, ask them, am I going to get compound interest? Does this investment attract compound interest? It's important. Okay. True or false? This is the last one. A 99-year leasehold is the same as a freehold. Is that true or false? False. Is it false? Okay. Yep. So what's the difference? Um, because at the end of 99, it reverts back to the state. So freehold is when you own it outright. 99, it reverts back to the state after 99 years. You're my sweetheart. You really are. Mwah, 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 mwah. Thank you. Mwah, mwah, mwah. <laughs> <laughs> <Well done. laughs> All right. Another difference about the leasehold and the freehold is the leasehold you own the property you own. That's also the difference. Um, so if you do have, if you are able to buy freehold, go for freehold. All right. So did, did any of you find that useful? Yeah. You did. Okay. So it's important that we become financially literate if we're going to become wealthy. All right. That's the point I want to make. All right. Now, um, since COVID-19, lots of companies have closed down, as you well know, sadly. Um, so the slides I'm going to show you are about a company that closed down a few years ago. But the reason why I'm showing you this one is because it proves a point that I want you to get. It's important that you grab a hold of your why for going into business because your why is what is going to keep you grounded. Your why is what is going to pull you through the dark times. And let me tell you from personal experience, there are lots of dark times in business. Lots of times where you think, oh my God, what was I thinking? How, how, why did I even think I could do this? Lots of times like that, that you will think, did I mishear God or whatever? Why are things not clicking? Why is it not coming together? But if you get your why, if you get to grips with your why inside here, when those kind of times occur, you can pull that out and it will, it will help you. One of my whys, apart from wanting to fulfill what God has called me to do, but one of my whys is that I have a, uh, we have a son who has special needs. Our, our first son is autistic. And so it is, it is important to my husband and myself that we provide for our son because we're not going to live forever. So we provide enough for him so that if for, he's not able to work, he has enough money to have a decent life. That is one of our whys. So when I'm tired or when things are not coming together, I pull out that why and that strengthens me to keep going. So you must find your why. And I want to have a quick look at, at some of the whys that, that might occur. So I want to talk about this company. I don't know if you remember this a few years ago. The BHS collapsed. You remember that? Does everybody remember that? On the day that the BHS uh, collapsed, Sir Richard Green was photographed sunning himself on his yacht, his 100 million pound yacht, the Lionheart. That yacht, the Lionheart, was his latest one. It is one of three that he owns. Uh, and that, that yacht is moored off the shores of the UK for tax purposes. So remember that as an employee, you don't even get to see all your salary. You are taxed at source. 
Business people are not. Um, also, um, his company Arcadia, a little while after he bought it, he transferred it to, he sold it to his wife, sold it to his wife, and then became the chief executive. And he did that because his wife is not, again, she's not British. And so he, for tax purposes, it is not a British company. Even though all the branches are in the UK, it is not a British company. So what made this particularly upsetting for me was because on the day this story broke, he had been informed by the press that they were going to break this story. And he chose this day, none other, to go on his yacht and sun himself. And if you, walk, if you look at that picture on the right, he, he, he threw a party on his yacht on that day. Meanwhile, the collapse of BHS cost over 9,000 employees their jobs. I want you to think about this. That is potentially 9,000 mortgages at risk. That is, let's say one third of those people had children in private school. That's one third of, oh my God, how am I going to school fees? That's 9,000 people who are now under financial pressure that will impact on their relationships, that will impact on their mental health, that will impact on their self-esteem, 9,000. And then I want you to take a picture of this because it's important. Spot the difference between the employee and the business owner. It's important that you get that picture. Now, what are you saying, BB? That's not what I'm saying. I was an employee for many years. There's nothing wrong with being an employee. But what I'm saying is that in this day and age, you cannot afford to be dependent on a single source of income. And for the majority of us, that single source of income is our salary. You can't afford to do that. When a company collapses, first of all, the directors, they're good. They will get all the thing that's due to them. They will get it. They will even get their golden goodbye. Because, you know, people of this level, when they even come to join the company, you have to give them a golden hello. Then when they ruin the company and they go, you have to get, pay them to go. They will get all that. Then they will get, uh, of course, their salary will be intact. They will get their pension intact. Even if they work there for a year, they will get their pension intact. They will get their, um, their bonuses and their shares. They will get it. And their shares will be connected to the RPI, not even the CPI, the RPI. They, it will be connected to that. They will get theirs. The shareholders will get theirs. And there's a recent case now where the tax man has now been considered one of the creditors. So the tax man will get his. The people who get thrown under the bus, the people who are the first to be sacrificed are the very people who were there day in, day out and who built that business year in, year out. The people who had to come in on weekends and had to work evenings, who missed their children's school plays because they had to work, whose, marriage, whose relationships were collapsed because they're never home. The employees, those are the people who get sacrificed. So I'm not saying don't work, please don't. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that you must have more than one income stream. The average millionaire has at any given time seven income streams. So how you think he can survive on one is beyond me. Now, for this session, for this bit, I want you to unmute your mics. Everybody, unmute your mic. Because we're going to make this declaration together. Is everybody unmuted? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Cool. yes. Clear your throat. <laughs> uh -huh. 
Ready for this one. One, two, three. I can no longer Okay, so I'm going to teach you a little bit about capitalism. I can't go into everything because we don't have enough time. I'll go as far as I can. Now, um, the gentleman who told us earlier on that we have a capitalist system in the UK. So true. Now, capitalism is a social economic system. Social means people. Please mute your mics. Go back to muting your mics. Capitalism is a social economic system in which the factors of production, and note them, please, land, labor, capital, are controlled and privately owned by a very small group of people. Now, usually when I do seminars, I can spend about 45 minutes just breaking down the words in red because they're really important. But we don't have time to do that today. So all that you need to know about this right now is that the people who become wealthy, first of all, ignore what the politicians tell you. The politicians will tell you that the, the wealth of this nation is up for grabs for everybody who can buckle down and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and work hard. That's not true. The wealth of this nation, as indeed any nation, belongs to those who control and own the factors of production. Land and inside land is property, included property. Land, labor, and capital. Whoever controls those are the ones who become wealthy. Which is why you can see that this has nothing to do with how many degrees you have. I have a cousin who is stock illiterate. If he can write his name, he's only just learned. But he can feed my family. Why? Because he understands the concept of ownership. And so he has a transport uh, business, he has building business, he sells granite, he sells sand, because he understands that whoever controls the factors of production are the ones who become wealthy. Some very disturbing research that I read recently, they said that in a capitalist society, after beggars, in real terms, in real terms, the next poorest group of people are employees who are dependent on a single source of income. After beggars. Scary. Okay, so this is a, what you really need to know. In a capitalist society, ownership is everything. Everything. Which is why I said earlier on, if you are renting, do what you can to get on the property ladder. Hear this as a word from the Lord. If you've been procrastinating in that area or be thinking about it and you haven't done much about it. Now you might say, people, but I don't have enough money. Thankfully, there are now people who are solving that problem. Um, there's a young lady who was on my, I have a, a radio show that I'll talk about at the end. She was a guest on my radio show recently. What she's doing is she's, she's getting a group of people. Okay, how much do you have? You have 10,000. How much do you have? You have 15,000. And they're all pooling their resources together and buying properties and developing them, then selling them, and then sharing the profit so that you can build your capital that way up into the stage where you can then, on your own, buy your own property, all right? So look, you don't have to use her, but look around for, for things like that. And if you don't have one in Jesus' house, I would encourage you to, to start one. This might be a good opportunity for you to, to start doing that. Okay, all right. Now, this is important. There are three groups in a capitalist society. There are producers, there are distributors, and there are consumers. And I want to deal with each 
which one? This, this bit is important, so please take notes. What is a producer? A producer is somebody who makes something or creates something such that it adds value to somebody's life, sufficiently so that they are willing to pay for it. All right, I'll say that again. A producer is somebody who creates something or makes something such that it adds sufficient value to somebody's life that they are willing to pay for it. Now, this is important that you get because many of us go into business because we think we have something to sell. If you're in business because you think you have something to sell, you will not be in business very long. You need to be in business because you have something somebody wants to buy. There's a difference. So that's a producer. I am a producer. What do I produce? I produce knowledge, information, and then I package it in either a webinar, in a book, uh, training sessions, speaking engagement, whatever. I package it and it adds sufficient people, value to people's lives that they're willing to pay for it, which is what you're doing today. All right? Distributor. What's a distributor? A distributor doesn't make anything. They don't create anything. All they do is bring the supply and the demand together. So, for instance, one of our clients um, is an African. He owns um, an Afri a group of African cash and carries. So he imports Gary, he imports rice, he imports yam, whatever, to the, to the African diaspora in the UK. Of course, he doesn't create them, he doesn't make them, he just imports them. He brings the supply and the demand together. And his turnover last year was uh, well over 10 million. So that's all he does. I am a distributor. What do I distribute? The same thing. I distribute knowledge and information, research, I package it in such a way that I bring the supply and the demand together, which again is what I'm doing today. You are the demand. What I'm bringing to you, what I'm communicating to you is the supply. All right. Then we have consumers. Now, everybody's a consumer because we have to live somewhere. We have to wear clothes. We have to eat. So everybody's a consumer. But I want to speak about the concept of consumerism in a slightly narrower term. And I would ask that you open your heart to be convicted because some of us need to be convicted. If you're going to build wealth, you need to get out of this, this category. A consumer, are you good? Are you ready? All right, so conviction is about to come. A consumer is somebody who has a lot of personal debt. Now, let me say something about personal debt. Anybody can get into debt. There is no shame in that game. Anybody can get into debt. So please, if you are in debt, do not be embarrassed. Anybody can be in debt. But if you are in debt, may I encourage you, don't bury your head in the sand. Don't ignore the letters because oftentimes we make a, a, a bad situation worse. Particularly in these COVID times, your creditors are more than willing to negotiate and to write stuff off. So if you don't feel bold enough to negotiate on your, on your own behalf, there are lots of organizations that will help you. Christians Against Poverty are a good organization. They will help you. So you need to start talking to the people you owe money. Don't ignore the letter. But I'm talking about a group of people who are always in debt and they're comfortable with it. They're always borrowing money and they're comfortable with it. And oftentimes they don't pay it back. They have loads of credit cards which they're not serving. They service the barest minimum, that, that, that minimal level. They service that. 
And you know, I spoke, we spoke when we were doing about doing the financial literacy test, we talk, spoke about compound interest. If you own credit cards and you only pay the minimum, you are paying reverse compound interest. You are the one paying interest upon your interest to your credit holder. You need to get that. You are paying reverse compound interest. And it is almost impossible to get about it once it, it falls on you. So you have to be very careful. Consumers are people who do not understand of delayed gratification. They want it all and they want it now. You have a married couple who between them, they're only bringing in maybe 60,000, 70,000, but they go and get a mortgage of a five bedroom house because you know all their friends are, have, have a, a five bedroom house or they have a house and they put themselves into debt. They can't keep up the mortgage. Or they, have, they build up equity in their, in their home and then they take the equity out, not to invest it in something that's gonna piece more money. They take the equity out and bury their dead father and show off to all their friends here, and then they come back nothing. And that asset is passed to their children so that their children can build wealth from this stock off. Their children have to start all over again because what they thought was an asset is not an asset, they're equity in the property. Consumers are people who cannot say no. They buy everything. They can't say no. They have no self-discipline. No self-discipline. I remember a few years ago, there was a couple that I knew and um, I could not understand. They, they would always say they were having financial problems, they were having financial problems. And I could not understand how this couple, this couple were having financial problems because they, were, they both had very good jobs. I mean, the husband was in IT, they had very good jobs. I couldn't understand it. And then one day I went to their house and they were modeling one of the toilets. So I had to use their ensuite toilet and I had to go through their bedroom. And as I went into the bedroom, a sight befell me that I had never seen before. The whole wall to wall was covered in shoes. I didn't see anything like it. And so, you know, I was speaking to the husband a little later, and the husband was saying, wow, I've never seen some shoes in my life. The guy said, ah, this is it all. Every month, my wife has to buy at least three sets of shoe and bag. How are you going to become financially free? That kind of stuff. So the important thing to get, ladies and gentlemen, is if you are to go you must be found in at least two of these categories. You must, not perhaps, not maybe, not if, you must be found in at least two of these categories. Otherwise, you are wasting your time. You're wasting your time. If you're not producing and you're not distributing, you're just a consumer, you are wasting your time. Okay, I hope conviction has fallen. <laughs> we move on. <laughs> okay, so let's start to the nitty gritty. So you want to start a business, and people often say to me, "Baby, I want to start a business, but I have no idea what business I should do." Now, as people of God, of course, when I go to the corporate world, I'm not, I'm not saying this, but as people of God, this must be your underlying thought. You are in your father's business and it doesn't matter whether you're selling shoes, whether you're a speaker, whether you're, whether you're a lawyer, it doesn't matter. Whatever business you go into, ladies and gentlemen, it is your father's business. That business is not yours. That business is an avenue or a channel for Jesus to say, I love you to the world. 
For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked. This is your father's business and this is what you must be about. Whatever business you are in, have this at the back of your mind that God wants to use my business as a vehicle to love the world. If you have this at the back of your mind, you will not treat your customers in a shabby manner. If you have this at the back of your mind, you will do your business with integrity. You will not nick the money and, and run off. If you have this at the back of your mind, even the way you answer the phone will be different. Because I, I, I think about my business that God wants to use my business to, to brighten somebody's day. So even the way I answer the phone reflects that. Okay? So that's, 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 that's what it is. You, this is your father's business. And so whatever business you go into, I need you to, you need to take it to your, to your heavenly father. Say, Lord, this belongs to you. Do as you will with it. Yes, I want to make money, but do as above, over and above the money. Do as you will through my business. Say, I love you through my business. Okay. Okay. So again, people are often unsure what business to do. They, they're not sure by way of ideas what to do. This is what I did. And I'd encourage you to do the same. Write down, have three columns just like this. And in the left-hand column, write down all your gifts and talents. What is it that you know how to do? Your gift is something that you do with the least amount of effort that you make look good and other people would struggle to do. That's your gift. All right? And you enjoy doing it. That's your God-given gift. Can I encourage you to discover what your gift is Nurture your gift, stir up that gift, just like the Bible tells us, stir up that gift and learn how to monetize it. Our giftings are a huge source of income, underutilized source of income. Learn how to monetize it. You may have to hire a business coach or somebody like that that can help you articulate your ideas, but make sure you discover your gift. What I'm doing today is just using my gift, the ability to communicate. That's my gift. That's it. Finish. And it has paid me well and continues to do so. In the last 18 months, I have been paid 10,000 pounds twice for a one day speaking engagement. It's just a gift. All right. I'm also a natural leader. So again, um, I, I get hired by companies to come and speak to their, their directors or whatever. And, you know, help them when they're going through a change or teamwork or whatever, that kind of thing, because I'm a natural leader. And so concepts of leadership are fine for me. What is your knowledge and experience? Write that down. Write everything down. And don't underestimate what you know. You know, there are things that we take for granted that we think are not important, but they, they, they're a matter of life and death for somebody else. Uh, I don't know everybody here is Nigerian, but um, in Nigeria, we have a head tie we call Gili. And uh, it's, it's a part of our cultural well, for those of you who are not Nigerian, it's part of our cultural well. I have no idea how to tie that thing. In fact, whenever we're going to a social function, when me and my husband are going to a social function, my husband is, is silently praying that I'll just wear an English outfit, that I don't wear a Nigerian outfit because he knows I'm going to start trying that head tie. And by the time I finish, believe me, everybody's involved in the process. My husband is pulling one end, my sons are pulling the other end, and I still can't get it right. And I collapse in tears because the sheer frustration of not knowing how to do this. But there are people who know how to do this. And we go to parties and we queue up for somebody to tie it for us and we pay their money. 
Who would have thought that knowing a head, how to tie a head tie would become financially lucrative? Don't underestimate what you know. Your experience can be monetized. I have a friend who went through a horrendous divorce. And now, and then she, you know, she got picked herself up and went on to, to become successful. And now she makes money from teaching other women how to do the same. Yes, so she, she um, has now monetized that experience. And she helps, she does, uh, she does workshops and seminars and stuff like that for women who are struggling after divorce. Don't underestimate your experience and what you know. So I know about HR, I know about Christianity, so I can preach, teach, I know about leadership, uh, I know about community organizing. I can get people to, to rally around a vision and work. Uh, life skills, overcoming, I've had quite a few challenges in life, um, but by the grace of God, I'm still here. And so I can teach people some of the things that, you know, um, I put into place to help me go on to still have a good life. I can teach people how to do that. Don't underestimate what you know. And then undergird that by what you are passionate about. What would make you get up in the morning and want to jump out of bed? That's your passion. That's your passion. And it may have nothing to do with what you studied at uni. It may have nothing to do with the job that you're doing. You might be an engineer, but your, your passion is, is making uh, cupcakes. What are you passionate about? And can I say this, ladies and gentlemen, and again, in a way, I'm, I'm really grateful to COVID-19. It has brought home to us that tomorrow is not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. So you need to stop wasting time doing things that you know are not your heartbeat. You know what I mean? They're not what you really want to do. And quickly change lanes and start doing what you really want to do, what is in your heart, what God placed in your, in your heart from a young age. Get busy doing that by way of a business. Get busy doing that. So my passion is helping people put their signature on life, irrespective of the hand that life has dealt them and arming them with the tools with which to do so, which is partly what I'm doing today. Okay. Now, when you put all this together, I can assure you a business idea will emerge. In fact, probably money, but at least one will emerge. Go with that. Take that to God in prayer. Say, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, then be, show me people who, who can help me monetize this, who can show me how to turn this into a business and, and, and run with that. Okay. Now, another thing you need to do is look for new and emerging industries with low startup costs. This is not the time to look for a business that needs 100,000, 200,000 to get off the ground. But look for new and emerging industries. I would encourage you, if you're going to go into business, as much as possible, use somebody else's money. Either by way of loan or look for investors. As much as you can, use other people's money. And investors love emerging industries because new and emerging industries are shrouded in mystery. They're shrouded in misconception. Nobody knows how they really work. And so if you get in there quickly enough, you can position yourself as an expert in that industry. And that's what everybody's trying to do now, trying to position themselves as an expert. You've got to position yourself as a go-to person. And so investors like this kind of industries because they can get in, make their money and get out before anybody else wakes up as to what is happening. So look for new and emerging industries. How do you look? Just go online. Even just Google that. What are new and emerging industries? And, and look at that. There are dying industries, ladies and gentlemen. Please don't go and put money in a dying industry. Go and check it out. Go and read. Read trade journals. See what is a dying industry. Don't put money in that. 
have a transition plan. When my husband was going to start his law firm, he, he sat me down and said, Bibi, I no, I no longer want to be an in-house solicitor. He, at the time, he was an in-house solicitor for a medical firm. He said, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to start my own law firm. So uh, I need you to, you know, to hold the fort for a little while until I get this off the ground. So I said, okay, cool. So I sat down and I, I took out my bank statement and I, I looked at my, you know, outgoings and my incomings. And I looked at, okay, what can I do without? What do I need to tighten up? Because the average business does not start making uh, profit, at least for the first two years. So you must be aware of that. So I was thinking, okay, if, if this business doesn't get off the ground for two years, what are we going to eat for two years? So um, I looked at what I could do without. And you'd be amazed at what you can actually live without. So anything like eating out, expensive restaurants, that, that went. Um, holidays, that went. No holidays for the next two years. Um, buying clothes, unnecessary clothes, that went. Um, I, I did a bit of shopping for the boys. So I bought enough clothes for them to wear for the next one or two years. But after that, there was no, there was no more clothes buying. You can tighten up your, your, your finances. You'd be amazed that you can live on a lot less than you think that you can. Um, also have a time frame. Don't, don't on Monday, because you've attended a webinar, go in on Monday and slam down your resignation letter on your, on your boss's desk. Don't do that. Um, have a time frame in mind. Okay, I need to, after I've done my market research, I put in, in place that by June 2021, I've got to get this business off the ground. Okay, so then part of your transition plan will also include what do I need to do to get myself ready to get this business off the ground? I'm going to discuss some of that in a minute. So you must have a transition plan. Part of that transition plan should also include you getting your family involved in the business. And I don't mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be practical, although I would encourage, this is something that I do with my kids, they're all involved in, in, in the business. Whenever I go and do a seminar somewhere, they're, they're there, they're manning my exhibition stands, they're announcing me, they've got to be involved in the business because they eat here from this, so I want them to to get into it. We've got to move our kids away from looking for a job, to, from being job seekers to job creators so that history does not repeat itself. We've got to get our kids into the mindset of being job creators. So as much as you can, make them a part of the transition plan. You need to let them know that daddy's going to be away from, the, um, be away from home or he's going to be working late quite a bit because he's trying to get this business off the ground. It's important that the family are aware of that. Um, whatever you need your partner to do to also go along with you because what you don't want to happen and this sometimes does is you take off and your partner is stuck where they are you know what I mean they're stuck where they are uh, by way of personal development so you need to be growing together so that something that is supposed to pull you together does not pull you apart okay so have a transition plan. But then I need you to have a look at what, what is standing in your way. There are some of you here who have been talking about starting a business for years. And you're still here. You're just attending webinars and seminars, but you're not doing anything. So what is standing in your way? For some of us, it is funding. All right? So you have to start thinking about, okay, so how do I raise the finance? And I'm going to deal with that in a minute. It might be a skills or knowledge gap. Don't jump into a business that you know nothing about. Don't go into it because so-and-so is doing it and it looks like they're making money. Uh-uh. Get the information, get the knowledge that you need to, do, to be successful in that, in that space. And for some of you, it might, it might mean you actually going back to uni 
And don't be deterred by that. So some of you might be saying, ah, maybe I'm already 40. If I go back to uni, that's another three years. By the time I finish, I'll be 44. Oh, I can't do that. So when people say that to me, my question then is, if you don't go back to uni, how old are you going to be in three years? You're still going to be 44 without the degree, without your dream getting off the ground, still in the same spot, probably in the same salary. So you might as well pay the price. Whatever you need to do, ladies and gentlemen, there is going to be a price to pay. Pay the price. But it might not be that drastic. It might just be an issue of you, you need to you know, read a lot of books in the area you want to go into. You need to get a mentor and sit at their feet and learn as much as you can. Humble yourself. Your mentor doesn't have to be older than you. Your mentor doesn't have to be anything like that. I have mentors who are a lot younger than me. I have, there's a particular mentor I have who calls me Ma, but I, he's my mentor because he's where I want to be. So I will sit at his feet any day so that he can teach me. Okay. So fill the skills or knowledge gap. But this is the one that I find stops people the most, fear, fear. What if I resign and I start this business and it flops? What if I do it and it doesn't work? What if I lose money? So my response to that is, what if you do it and you're a success, baby? Failure is not final and it's not, it's not fatal. If you fail, what's the worst that can happen? Seriously, what is the worst that can happen? So don't let fear deter you. And like I said, we have very little time on earth and it's becoming shorter by the day. So feel the fear and do it anyway, like they say. I'm scared, <laughs> I'm still scared, but push through the fear. And those of us who are people of God, we have an advantage because we're supposed to be, and I say supposed to be, people of faith. So, you know, we have something that can counter the fear, but, but don't let fear stop you. And what is important is that you have, um, you have measured risk. So I'm not saying, okay, go and take out 150,000 from the, from the equity in your home and go and put it in a business that you barely know anything about. That's not what I'm saying. But you must, there is going to be a measure of risk in anything that you do. So don't let that deter you. Okay. All right. But doing nothing, that's no longer an option, ladies and gentlemen, you can't, you are responsible for the, for the revelation that you receive. And the Holy Spirit, I know, is revealing stuff to you as you're listening to my voice. So doing nothing is no longer an option. And like I said, I know that God is preparing his people for what is to come. Okay. So let's look at business planning. You're doing great, actually. You're doing very well. <laughs> okay. Businesses don't plan to fail. They just fail to plan. I know you've heard that a hundred times, but it's true. So let's have a look at market research. You must do your market research. And it doesn't matter how long that takes. Somebody asked me the other day, how long should I be doing market research? For, for as long as it takes. One of my companies, it took me two years to do the market research, but it was time well spent. Now, first thing you need to be looking at, who is my customer or my preferred client? And you know, like I said earlier, you're not in business because you have something to sell. You are in business because somebody, you have something that somebody wants, you have something that somebody wants to buy. So the qu first question is, actually, is there a market for this product? Don't assume because you like it that everybody else is going to like it. And let me say this, no matter how universal your product is, the whole world is not your customer. Even if it's something as universal as water, 
Some people like still water, some people like flavored water, some people like fizzy water. The whole world is not your customer. Every product or service has what we call a demographic. Your duty as a business person is to find what is the demographic for this product and then keep expanding the, the services that you offer to the people within your demographic. So what you need to be looking at, and this bit is very important, is you need to be looking for a preferred client. What is a preferred client? A preferred client has two characteristics. And this is important that you get this. A preferred client, one, understands the value of what you are bringing. Because not everybody does. I have found that within the black community, we don't understand the value of professional services. People only hire a lawyer when they run into trouble. They only hire an accountant when they, they've misfiled their tax. They don't understand the essence of professional services. So a preferred client is somebody who understands the value that you are bringing. And value is defined by two ways. One, what problem does this product solve? What problem does your product solve? You need to be asking yourself the question anytime you're going to go into business. And if you cannot answer that question, then you're in the wrong business. What, pro what problem does this product solve? Two, what um, need does it meet? What need does it meet? Those two aspects are what constitute value. And in the marketplace, you get paid for what you bring to the market by way of your product or your service, the value that that, that product brings and how difficult it is to replace you or that product. That's what you get paid for. So the more problems that your, your product solves, the higher the value in the estimation of the, of the client, the more they are willing to pay for it. Even as an employee, don't think because you have the same job description or the job title as the person sitting next to you that you're on the same salary. <laughs> you're not. Believe me, I work with companies. You're not necessarily on the same, on the same um, salary. They may have certain skills that you don't have. They won't tell you that they're paying her more for something else. Okay? So that's what you need to be looking at. Not just any customer. You need to be looking for a preferred client. There is no point. And please, have the conversation about money early on. There is no point um, somebody calling me up and saying, oh, Bibi, um, could you come to my office and discuss some of your services? And I dash over to their office and I do my spiel for one and a half hours. And they say, oh, that's really fantastic. Yes, that is something that we really need. We really need that in my company. Yes, let's do it. And, and they say, how much do you charge? And I tell them, if it's a speaking engagement, I charge, I don't know, 2,000 a day. They say, oh, but we can't afford that. I've just wasted one and a half hours of my time. I don't have that kind of time. Neither do you as a business person. So you need to have the conversation about money. Don't be afraid. A lot of us are. Believe me, I had to battle through this. I actually had to have a consultant help me with this because I, I was struggling with, with you know, talking about money with clients and then undercutting what I was worth with clients. Um, because you know, you know how it is. You're, you're so worried that if you, if you mention money, you're going to chase the client away. Um, but that it's, it's, it is the value that determines how much the client is willing to pay. So very early on, have the conversation about money. Two, what does your client or your customer do and where are they? What do they do? What do they do and where are they? So for example, I have a, 
uh, one of my mentors who who um, wanted to start a magazine in Nigeria. He was based here, but he decided he was going to relocate to Nigeria, and he wanted to start a magazine. And he wanted, he knew in his mind that he wanted to start a magazine for the uber rich. That's, that was his target audience, the, the, the very wealthy. The problem was he didn't know any wealthy people. <laughs> so he decided, he knew that there was a particular social club that the kind of people he wanted were members of. So he got himself invited to this club. And what he did was he befriended the, the, the staff, the bartenders. He actually put a couple of them on his payroll. And then their job was to introduce the magazine to the members of that club. So the bartender would go over. So let's say you are, I don't know, Dan Gote or somebody else. Um, you would say, and you were a member of the club and you ordered a drink, the bartender would bring his, his, your drink over and very systematically introduce the magazine and say, oh, Mr. Dan Gote, um, I don't know if you've seen this new magazine. I just thought, you know, you, you, you'd like to see it. You, you might find it interesting. So Dan Gota picks up the magazine and he's looking through it as he's sipping his, his gin and tonic. And then the, the bartender, when he clears the table, says, oh, did you like the magazine? magazine? And the guy says, yeah, actually, it was good. Or he says, well, I would have preferred it better if it, was, if it had an article on this or that or the other. So that bartender would then feed that information back to my, my friend. And my friend began to shape the magazine based on the requirements of his target audience. And then what would happen is he would tell... Uh, the bartender would tell my friend when that person would next be in the club. So my friend would be in the club. He'd be sitting at the bar. And so the bartender would go over to Mr. Dangote and say, oh, Mr. Dangote, you remember that magazine I showed you the other day? The publisher is sitting at the, at the bar. W would you like me to, to introduce you? And so he'd bring my friend over and my friend would get introduced to Mr. Dangote. That was how he got to meet the clients that he wanted. So where are your clients? What do they do? And where are they also has other ramifications. So let's say, for instance, like I said, I was talking about the, one of our clients earlier on, um, you, you have an African cash and carry. Even if they give you a shop for free in Mayfair, there is no point in you going to set up shop there. Why? Your clients are not there. Your clients are in Peckham. They're in Woolwich. They're in Stoke Newton. They're in Thamesmead because you're selling things that people in that area want. So you need to find out where your clients are and go to them. But because of the internet, um, and now that obviously so many more people are doing stuff online, where are your clients online is even more important because you need to establish a presence as to where they are online. So let's say for instance, um, I was a designer and I go into a business where I'm designing hoodies for young people. Yeah, there is no point in me going to advertise them on LinkedIn because young people hardly ever go to LinkedIn. Even professional young people hardly ever go there. I need to be on Instagram. I need to be on Snapchat. I need to be on TikTok because that is where my clients are. Okay, what do your clients need? Don't assume to know what they need. Find out, that's part of your market research. When I was going to start um, my employment law and HR consultancy many years ago, part of my market research was I did this questionnaire that I sent to a hundred people that I knew because my target audience was small business owners and employees. Those were the people I was gonna be servicing. And the, the results on that market research was such an eye opener to me, it was unbelievable. I learned from that, that market research that people actually don't like going to law firms because they think that they're snooty. They don't like them. 
And then the second thing I found out was as regards the employees, our normal opening hours, which was going to be nine to five, is the same time that employees are at work. So they wouldn't be able to come. So it'd have to be a Saturday. So what I did was I changed the, the opening hours. So rather than open from nine to five, we were open from about 11 to seven, which gave them a couple of hours for them to come to the office. Or those who couldn't come to the office, I'd say to them, all right, do you have a Starbucks near your office? They say, yes. Okay, I'll, I'll come and meet you during lunchtime. I would sit in Starbucks and I do my consultation there. Or I would come to their house. They were, they were so happy. Wow, my lawyer's going to come to my house. So I come to their house. We'd sit around the kitchen table and we'd talk on a human level. We wouldn't even talk about what I came there for. We'd just gist and, and everything and get to know each other. And that helped me because people buy from those they like, they know, and they trust. So while you're sitting around the kitchen table, they're on their own, you know, they're in their own space. So their guard is down. They're happier. They're freer. You're, you're talking about, you can see one of their children's photographs. He's won an award. You're talking about that. By the time you talk about money, it's a done deal. They already like you. So it's a done deal. So find out what they need. Don't assume to know. How can you effectively communicate that you can meet their needs? Now, this is really important. You can have a really good product and service, but if you cannot communicate to your client audience, to your preferred client, that you can meet their need, you will not sell very well. What do I mean by that? You need to speak their language. And when I say language, I'm not talking about whether it's Igbo or Efik or something like that. I'm speaking about every group of people have a way in which they communicate. So for example, uh, one of the other things that I do is I'm very big on leadership. I'm very passionate about leadership. So there's a particular, so I teach um, leadership. I train young people who are going into leadership. I train pastoral teams who are in leadership. Um, I also train corporate leadership as well. There's a particular program that I do that, um, that I, I use for all three groups. I just tweak it based on the audience. But when I'm marketing it, when I'm marketing it, I use completely different language. So for instance, when I'm marketing it to young people, and of course, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm on Instagram when I'm marketing it to young people, I might say something in the, in the marketing material that says something like, don't miss it, it's gonna be dope. Why? Why would I say it's gonna be dope? Because that's, what young, that's the language of young people. They understand that if it's dope, it's gonna be good, it's gonna be great, it's gonna be fun, okay? If I was going to market that very same program to a group of pastors, there is no way I'd say it's going to be dope on the flyer. Just in case they think I'm a drug dealer or something like that. They wouldn't get it because that's not their language. I'd say something like, and the Holy Spirit is going to speak through me or something like that. Or the Holy, this is going to be an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that is their language. So you need to be able to communicate with whatever your preferred client group is, that you can meet their need. All right? Okay. Um, how much is your client willing to pay for this product? You need to find that out. And let me say this, there is nothing like an, a product that is too expensive. I'm gonna say that again and let that liberate you. There is nothing like a product that is too expensive. I'm a speaker. I have speaker friends who charge a hundred pounds a day to, to, to speak. And that's fine. I don't charge anything like that. I charge a lot more, even though 
Jesus House did a really good job. Lady did a really good job in, in dropping, in making me drop my fees. You're a great negotiator, Lady. You, you, you did well, I gotta say, you did well. But, um, but yeah, there's nothing like your product is too expensive. The more value you add, the more people are willing to pay for it. Now you can go to Primark and buy a decent handbag in Primark, and there's nothing wrong with that. But have you heard, for the ladies among you, have you heard of Hermes Birkin bags? I was checking them out a couple of days ago, and the, one of the bags I was looking at was 48,000 pounds. 48,000 pounds for a handbag. Now, when I think about the fact that my first house cost me 55,000 pounds, that is, is mind blowing to me. I don't know what I'd be putting in the bag for 48,000 pounds. But I think the cheapest Hermes uh, Birkin bag is 3,500. And there is a waiting list of anything between 18 months and three years. <laughs> and I'm gonna pay 48,000 pounds for it. There is nothing like a product that is too expensive. The more value your product or your service adds, the more people will pay for it. Okay, who are your competitors? Now, let me bust a myth. Whenever we think about competitors, we always think that we, in order to compete, we have to compete in price. We have to undercut our competitor. That's not necessarily true. Again, if you are adding value, people will be willing to pay for it. So find out who your competitors are. Have a look at what they're doing. Check them out online. Go to their shop. See what they're doing, if they're in the same space as you. And don't be afraid to copy what they're doing. If they're doing something that works well, if, you, if they do something when you go to their shop that, that appeals to you, adopt it. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying steal the intellectual property. That's not what I'm saying. But if they're doing something well that you think, hmm, well, this is interesting, then adopt it. Do the same thing or do it even better. Okay. Let's go to finance. I'm conscious of the time, so I'm going to zoom through this. People often underestimate the things that they need finance for. So I just want to address your mind so that you know the things that you, it will help you sort out your budget for how much you need to get your business off the ground. You need money for working capital and capital investment. Working capital is the things that you, you need for the, the business to be ticking over on a daily basis. Okay, that's, that's working capital. Capital investment is for your more heavy duty stuff your IT system, your telephone system, if you're leasing a photocopier, um, th those kind of things, that's your capital investment. All right? Now, um, so these are some of the things you need money for. You need finance for staff, if you indeed have staff from the beginning, but no matter what, hopefully you will have staff soon after. Uh, and when you're thinking staff, don't just think salary. Um, pension schemes, you've got that, you've got tax, you've got national insurance. Uh, if one of your staff becomes pregnant, you have to pay them and then you have to pay your, your, her replacement. All those kind of things, you've, you've got to cater for that. Have that in mind when you're sorting out your budget. You need money for stationery. You're going to have to have um, letterheads, business cards, marketing material, blah, blah, blah. You know, your staplers, your hole um, punch, your pens, whatever. You need money for all that. You need money for marketing material. You may have to actually hire somebody who can help you with marketing. Owning a business is one thing. Marketing is a completely different science, completely different science. So you must be aware of that. The fact that you have some super hyper duper interactive website does not mean anybody's going to go there. Somebody has to go there. So you, you need to understand marketing. 
uh, rent if you're hiring uh, office premises, transport, you're going to go and see clients and attend seminars and whatever you need to go, professional services, again, don't scrimp or scrape on professional services and don't hire that you, somebody that you don't know about, anything about. Um, look around for other people, look for recommendations and hire people who, who give good service. And if you have to pay a little bit extra, pay that little bit extra. They will save you time. They will save you energy. They will save you money. So please pay a little bit extra for them. You have to pay bills, electricity bills and whatever. Hospitality. Uh, some industries you have to wine and dine clients quite a bit. So those kind of things. But, you know, I'm sure you can think of many more. But those are the kind of things that you, you have to be paying for. So let's look at how to raise the finance. Personal assets. Now, this is why it's important that you must have different income streams. So particularly if you want to raise finance, if you want an investor to invest in your business, because an investor wants to know that you have collateral, and that if the business goes belly up, he has something he can get off of you. So I remember when we first, my husband and I, after the very first business that we had, we were importing specialist pasta from Italy and we, we were making some traction. And then all of a sudden we got this massive order from an airline we don't know how they found us but we got this massive order from an airline and they wanted us to to be supplying them with specialist pasta um the only thing was that they wanted um a 90-day turnaround which means we would supply the product up front and they had 90 days with which to pay us which is cool it's not a problem a lot of businesses done that way the only problem was was that we just got married so we had no money and we had no investments and so we could not pay for the pro for, for the, the product up front so we very happily took the, the letter of engagement that they gave us to, to say that they were going to you know, purchase the product. We took it off to our bank manager um, and showed them the letter. And the first thing they asked us is, do you own your own home? Which we didn't. We were renting at the time. Okay. Uh, how much money do you have in the bank? We didn't have any money in the bank. Uh, what do you have by way of collateral? Absolutely zilch. And so the bank manager said, well, we're sorry, we can't lend, we can't lend you the money. And so we waved the, the letter in front of them, but can't you see, can't you see, they've hired us, they're going to be buying loads of it. And then he said, we don't care, we're sorry, you haven't got any collateral. You must have personal assets. So for instance, if we had had a, a share portfolio and we, and we needed to now use some money to go into business, we could have liquidated our shares and poured it into this to buy the products up front. So this is why it's important that you, you, have this, you have different income streams. Personal assets are important. Angel investors. Uh, these are people, I'm sure most of you have watched Dragon's Den. Those are angel investors. Angel investors are great because without them, a lot of people's business dreams would just die with them. Um, they're great not just because of the money they bring, but they have industry contacts and they have expertise. So angel investors are fantastic. Now, you don't have to go to Dragon's Den. Thank God there are now some that exist within our community. I have a group of investors. So and every so often we help people raise money. In the last, I think, two months, we've done, we've, um, done a, a Dragon's Den type pitch for two investors. And neither of them are even based in the UK. One was from South Africa and one was in Nigeria. And they pitched their services and those that wanted to invest, invested. So there are angel investors. Now, a word of warning for angel investors. Sometimes angel investors turn into devil investors. And what I mean by that is because they are bringing their, their contacts within the industry, if you fall out, there is a tendency for them or there's a potential for them to blackball you within the industry and nobody wants to touch you. Also, I have seen cases 
where um, people who started the company, the angel investor will grow the companies to a certain level and then inch the person that started the company out. I've even seen people who started the company end up legally becoming employees in that company. They didn't realize that. They thought they were directors or they were business partners, but actually in law, they are held to be employees. And that has been orchestrated by the investor. So you do have to be very careful. If you're going to have an investment, you need to have a lawyer to make sure that that agreement is watertight. Don't just get excited by the money, which is what happens. We get excited by the money and we just grab it on any terms. No, you can't afford to do that. You need to take a step back and get a lawyer to have a look at the agreement for you. There is sometimes stuff in there that you don't think about or you don't understand the implications. And it's important that they, they have a look at it for you. But they're great to have. They're really great. Family and friends, you'll be amazed at number of your family and friends that have money sitting in the bank gathering dust, whereas that money could be working for them. Now, this is the difference between capitalists and, and, and the middle class and the working class and employees. Capitalists don't work hard for their money. They make their money work hard for them. So there are people sitting on money. It is, I don't know what your percentage is in, with this, your savings. I think mine is less than 1% now in the bank. There are people who have that money and could be investing it in your business so that it can yield something tangible for them. Bible says you have not because you ask not. Ask. Ask your friends. Ask your family. You'd be surprised. People that you don't suspect have any money, they do. <laughs> so ask, don't be afraid to ask. Credit cards, I'm almost loath to use this because except you have the discipline of credit cards, I wouldn't advise that you go there. But if you do have the discipline, then of course, credit cards are, are great. And while when some credit cards have a 0% um, interest on them, that basically is an interest-free loan, as long as you stay within the, the parameters. Uh, that's an interest-free loan. And for my friends that, that are into property development, they say that credit cards are really great for short-term loans. So yes. Okay. We're nearly there, uh, I know we're, and I wanna give some time for, for questions. Tips for a successful business. Put systems in place that ensure that your business is not dependent on your physical presence to generate income. What I mean by that, if your business is dependent on you sitting in your office in order for money to come in, then you've not created a business, you've created a job, which is probably the very thing that you were trying to get away from in the first place. But you need to be putting things in place to ensure that you can go on holiday because a lot of small business owners can't. You need to be putting things in place so that money is coming in while you are sleeping. Okay, so um, it, it might be that you put your business online and you're selling something that people are buying online and you just wake up in the morning and they've ordered whatever it is they want to order. So sometimes I package uh, some of the seminars that I do and I sell it as a product on my website and people go to the website and they buy and the money is there. So I'm not having to deliver the website, deliver the, the seminar again. People are just buying it or the book or something like that. Or it means you build a team, you build a good team that understands your vision and can run with that vision even if you were not there. Again, think legacy. If I drop dead today, can this business survive without me? That's part of the, your, your legacy mentality. Or will it die with me? Learn how to manage your time and prioritize. This is really important if you're going to go into business. You must learn to manage your time. Um, if you are somebody who is, uh, let's, let's just say, call it like it is. If you're lazy, you need to deal with that. 
All right. If you think you're working hard as an employee, let me take it from me. You're going to work 10 times harder as, as, uh, as a business owner. So if you think this is the easy option, you're mistaken. You're going to work 10 times harder. It's just that now it belongs to you. Um, if you're somebody who procrastinates, you're going to have to deal with that because procrastination in business can cost you dear, especially if you have deadlines. Um, you need to be able to prioritize your time. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to be serious about your business, um, omnibus editions of EastEnders and uh, binge-watching Netflix is, is going to have to be put aside if you're serious about your business, at least until you get it up and running and your team can carry it forward. So these are all the things that you have to think about. I would encourage you to do something that I try to do on a daily basis. When you sit down at your desk, write down all the things that you need to do. Put it in three columns. One, imperative. Two, important. Three, can wait. And write down all your tasks and put them in those three columns, okay? And that will help you stay on top of things. Develop a mindset for success. Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you tell yourself that you can't succeed in business, then you will not succeed in business. But you need to tell yourself, yes, there's no reason why I can't. Richard Branson was born of a woman just like me. So there's no reason why I cannot do well in business. I've got God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost on my side. God will bring destiny helpers. He will bring mentors into my life. He will, people, he will bring people who will work alongside me. I am going to do well in business. I am not going to fail. I'm going to do well in business. You need to tell yourself that. You need to watch your inner conversations about money. This is really important. This is a sublime thing, but it's very important. So have a look at this. Two statements. I am broke. I am overcoming a financial problem. They mean the same thing. But the first one has a finality about it. I am broke. Your psyche will shut down if you tell yourself this. I'm broke. It's a closed door. It's a brick wall mentally. If you tell yourself, I am overcoming a financial problem, your brain will automatically go into survival mode. What do I need to do to get past this? First of all, it will tell you, this is just a temporary situation. It's not the full stop of my life. It's just a comma. It's a temporary situation. Two, what do I need to do to get over this? How do I get over this? If I can't get over it, how do I get under it? If I can't get under it, how do I get around it? If I can't get around it, how do I burrow through this wall? Just the change in, in, in uh, words affects you. Words have power. So be careful about your inner conversation about money. Ah, this thing is not going to work. Ah, I'm going to lose money. Oh, it will affect you. Establish your unique selling point. Your unique selling point is this. If I was selling something and Tinuke was selling something, what would make you buy from Tinuke rather than buy from me? That's her USP. Okay, and you need to, that's what you need to place in front of your clients, your USP. Okay, in my space, there are not a lot of uh, there are not a lot of black women who, who speak to the corporate world, especially in the UK. There are not a lot of them, so that's part of my USP, especially now because of the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Um, a lot of clients who would never have given us the light of day a year ago suddenly they're actually requesting for black speakers, so that's a USP for me. So you look at what makes you different. What do you do better than, than other people that you can, you can push? Overcome embeddedness. Embeddedness is where you are dependent on your people group for patronage for your product. So let's say I go to Jesus' house and I'm a hairdresser. So I say to Tinika, Tinika, could you please announce in the pulpit on Sunday that I've just opened a hairdressing salon? So she announces that. The problem with that is 
nearly everybody in that church is dependent. It, it, um, nearly everybody in that church, um, no, sorry, let me put it this way. We, we tend to have kind of like a herd mentality. If one person starts a business, everybody else does the same big thing. So in the next three months, I can assure you, they'll have about three or four other hairdressers. And we're all depending on Jesus House to, 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 for patronage. And so now the market is saturated because there are four of us now. So that's embeddedness, when you're dependent on your own people. You need to get out of that. Look for how your product or your service can cross over to other people groups. So for example, when you go to your local Indian takeaway, what Mrs. Patel is cooking up in the kitchen in your, in your local takeaway is not what she's serving Mr. Patel at home. It is, she's, she's reduced the amount of spice and flavoring so that it can appeal to the Caucasian palate. She's overcoming embeddedness. And that's what you need to do with your product. If you're looking for just Africans or just Nigerians or just your church members, you won't do very well. Referrals and collaborations. You need to do this. Ladies and gentlemen, the day of everybody doing their own little thing to death in their little corner of the world, that day is over. We have to become a force to be reckoned with. You have to start working with me. I have to start working with you. And the church is an ideal place for that to happen. I'm so grateful for Kingdom Treasurers. I wish there was one in every church. So what you need to do by way of collaborations is something like this. So let's say I'm a caterer. I need to look for a group of people who share the same client pool. And those people have to be one, reputable, two, reliable, three, affordable. Okay? And so I go to them. So those kind of people would be like video guys, photographers, um, hall decorators, uh, cake makers, those kind of people. So I go to them and I say, listen, when I go to my client to pitch my services, I'm going to tell her that not only can I supply the catering, but I can also supply the photographer, the video guy, and everything else. All right? And for every client that I pass your way, I want 20%. So you're, you're not doing anything more than you would normally do. And now you get 20% from her, 20% from her, 20% from her. That's about five other people that you get 20% more. And they're happy because you've now given them access to other clients that they would not normally have had. Your client is happy because that means she doesn't have to waste time looking for this, looking for that. You're able to, you're a one-stop shop, so you've given her everything that she needs. So that's how you need to start thinking. What do I do that can enhance somebody else's business? And what does somebody else do that can enhance mine that we can work together? That's what we need to start doing, body of Christ. Work together. Ladies and gentlemen, I think I'm going to end it there. Phoebe, <sighs> thank you so much. Um, I think you, you had a flyer about um, yes. a webinar coming up. So if you can just put that on the screen. Yes. Um, we have a couple um, of questions that I'm just going to ask okay. you. Time is... Question, sorry, go on. Just before I go into questions, I just want to quickly... Uh, say a couple of things. Um, at the beginning, I had uh, my, um, and I'll put it there again, I had a, how you can connect with me online. I, I would strongly encourage you to do that because I'm always throwing out stuff online that will help you in your, in your business journey. Um, on, my Twitter account is um, at, bb at bbclement and my Instagram is bb underscore clement. And again, I'll put that up. But I also am the author of this book, How to Go from Employee to Entrepreneur, which again, I would strongly encourage you to get, and it will help you with, in your business journey. Um, it's $12.99 on Amazon, and it's the same price on my website. But today, I'm going to do it for £10, 
you just have to pay for the, the postage, which is £1.50. So if you want to buy that just today, tomorrow you have to go buy it from the website or Amazon. But today, if you, if you want to buy it, those are the payment details. And you just drop me an email at that address to say that you have paid and I will put it in the post for you. So I would encourage you strongly to get that. Um, you can go and look at the, the reviews on, on Amazon before you buy it if you want to. I don't know any of the, the people who did the reviews, but I'm, I'm happy to say that the reviews are very good. It's sold only 500,000 copies, um, but it will help you. I also have a, a business um, program. I host a business program every Tuesday on Star Radio uh, between 1.30 and 2.15 p.m. It's on FB Live. I'd encourage you to listen to that as well. And let me find that flyer i have an event coming up yeah that's it you can see that can you see that i have an event coming up soon that again will help you oh i don't know how to do this actually all right how to find and keep your customers again that's i'll send this to, to you guys and you can put it up and that's coming up on the 3rd of october how to find and keep your customers business is all about customers no customers no business likes on instagram are not customers ladies and gentlemen customers are customers so how do you find them and how do you keep them? That's on the 3rd of October, 10 to 12th. And that's 75 pounds. Early bird registration is 70, 70 pounds, which ends on the 19th. And that's what you need to do to register. I will send that to you. You can send that out to all your guys. Thank you. Okay. Thank right. you. Okay. We have uh, less than five minutes to answer these questions. So, but I know you know the answers, so it shouldn't be too hard. If you use other people's money, e.g. a loan, what if it fails? You're left with that loan. And also, how do you, re do you repay it while the business is still growing? Okay. So it depends on the agreement that you guys come into. There's no set standard. Uh, it, it depends on the agreement that you, you come into with your, your investors. Uh, they may say they, they don't want their money for the first two years or five years. Or when you hit a, a, a certain um, figure, then they're going to start retrieving their money, that kind of thing. But they also know that they're going to have an element of risk. Um, investments can come in different ways. They might own a part of the business, so they're going to share that risk anyway. Um, or it might be by way of a loan, uh, that kind of thing. But again, it's important that you have collateral. It's unlikely that people are going to lend you money with, without collateral anyway. Now, everything in life is, is risky. There's, I can't sit here and, and tell you that there's not going to be any risk. It, it is risky. Um, but I, I'd rather take the risk then sit in a job that I'm not happy in or know that I have a dream to do it and, and the only thing stopping me is, is fear of taking the risk. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Next question. Is it worth doing an MBA before starting a business? No, I don't think so. Don't <laughs> that think. was an easy answer. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> okay. How do you do market research with no money? How do you do? Market research with no money. Well, I, that's what I did. I, I just, I drafted a questionnaire. I knew what business I wanted to go into. And I, I drafted a questionnaire of about, I don't know, I had about 20 questions, 20, 30 questions on everything to do with the business. I'd looked at the business from every angle. I got someone else to look at the business from every angle. And as a result of that conversation, I drew up a questionnaire and then I sent it off to people. It didn't cost me uh, any money to do that. Um, part of my market research was um, going to visit other people who were doing what I wanted to do, that didn't cost me money, just a transport fee, you know, fair to do that. So market research doesn't necessarily have to cost you a lot of money. Okay, fantastic. Brilliant. Okay, that's it. We're done. Thank you very much, Bibi. I'm just going to put something in the comment box because we just had a 
question. So let me, well, not a question, sort of question. So let me just put that in. Um, just to say to everyone, please, please, please um, send us an email, kingdomtreasurers at jesushouse.org.uk to let us know what else you would like us to um, talk about, what topics you'd like us to do. I've put the details of the account to make payment for the book into the chat box. So um, if you would like to do that, please do so. Last question, at which stage do I need to register my company with Companies House? Bibi, one second. Sorry? Sorry? Answer that. At which stage do I need to register my company with Companies House? Um, once you decide you're, you're going to do it. Once you decide you're going to do it. And it depends on if, if you're um, operating as a, low, um, a sole trader. So if you're trading as something like... Um, Clement Consulting as BB Clement or BB Clement as Clement Consulting, then you don't necessarily have to register it with Companies House. Um, but if you do need to register it, as soon as you decide it, then register it. You don't even need a solicitor to do that. You, if you go to Companies House, it will show you how to do it. Okay. What's your take on network marketing? Ah, somebody else asked me that actually. I'm actually um, a member of a couple of uh, network marketing groups. I think network marketing is, success in network marketing is a matter of timing. I think if you get in there early enough and you build your team so that you're, you're you, what they call it, you're down, what they call it, you're down something. Um, if you build your team and you're getting income from them, then that's great. But if you enter when everybody else has, has made their money and you're at the bottom of it, it's, it's, it can be quite difficult to make money. Having said that, I have a couple of friends who have become millionaires from network marketing. So it's not impossible, but um, yeah, it, it can be quite difficult, yeah. It's 12 o'clock, so I'm going to end it there. Thank you very much, Bibi. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, everyone. You will get the slides sent to you later on. And when the recording is ready, it will be put on the Jesus House podcast. So um, just to let you know, you'll be able to listen again. Thank you so much, Bibi, for your time. God bless you all. Have a Thank fantastic you. weekend. Thank you.